part of it has to do with nostalgia, part of it has to do with point of pride, neighborhood pride, part of it has to do with, you know, your pizza cognition theory, the original slice, that's where they've been going all these years. You know, not just is this good or is it bad, but what is the story that the pizza is trying to tell me and what is the story that the pizza maker is trying to tell me? We have New York and California, we have Sicilians, and sometimes we'll throw Detroit's and Grandma's in there. And you have Stromboli's, Calzones, and everything like that. It's, it's just unique. In a year filled with pain, misery, and sadness, one of the few glimmers of hope in the restaurant industry has been the resilience of pizzerias. Some businesses and chefs have pivoted entirely to pizza. We're taking a look back at four of our favorite shows from 2020 today, talking with a range of pizza people. A New York City writer who documents the scene, a New Yorker who moved to Las Vegas many years ago and now makes one of the most respected Sicilian pies in the nation, a legendary Chicago tavern-style pizza operation that expanded to a hugely successful frozen line, and the goat that's greatest of all time, Pizza Pros, based in San Francisco. A look back at a busy year in pizza straight ahead. I need a deep dish sausage and a thin pepperoni for here. This is Pizza City, the podcast dedicated to the art, craft, and passion behind some of the world's greatest pizzas. I'm Steve Dolinsky, author of Pizza City USA and founder of Pizza City USA Tours in Chicago. And welcome everybody to our final show of the year here. I cannot believe, well, I'm really happy it's over. 2020 uh, is coming to an end. We're coming up on two years of uh, the podcast, which is really remarkable. I never thought I'd be going this long, but uh, every other week we've been religious about uh, providing some some pizza content we think is interesting with some interesting people around the country. Uh, we continue today with a look back on some of our four, some of our favorites, four of our favorites to be exact. Um, we're going to go way back to our time machine in the before times of January of of 2020 today. Uh, beginning with Arthur Bovino from uh, NYC Best Pizza on Instagram. He's also the pizzacowboy.com. Uh, we're going to talk to him about, about what he does, uh, the industry, uh, how he writes about pizza, what he, uh, how he approaches a pizzeria, and what he's looking for. Uh, John Arena, a fantastic guy to talk to about pizza um, in Las Vegas, former New Yorker but moved more than 20 years ago. Um, and, and resettled in the, on the West Coast, or I should say in the desert, and uh, about what he is doing there with his remarkable Sicilian pizza. And then in our next segment today, Dan Costello, the president and CEO of Home Run In Pizza, legendary Chicago name. You've probably seen them in the frozen section, but really it is much more than a frozen pizza. I was very... Well, I was impressed uh, when I went to initially taste this pizza for my first book, uh, doing the research. And then finally today, Tony Gemignani bringing up the rear, the anchor leg of the show, if you will, the goat, um, the one, the only, multiple pizza champion and uh, pizza school owner uh, in San Francisco and, and how he goes about his day. Um, so anyway, we start with Arthur Bovino today. He's got a book out about the city of Buffalo, which is a fantastic read, even if you're not from Buffalo, but just, you know, more than Buffalo wings, obviously, but pizza, uh, history and great food. But he goes by the pizza cowboy 
on the website, uh, pizzacowboy.com, and then NYC Best Pizza on Instagram, where you can follow along with his uh, travails and adventures uh, in the world of New York City pizza from, I mean, really every borough. He covers it all. He'll even go to Staten Island. And I met with him really at the beginning of the year when the pandemic was just not even a glimmer in anybody's eye. And we were chatting in a pizzeria in New York City, I forgot the name of it, but uh, I think they were known for their their Roman or Sicilian-style pizza. That's not important. Uh, But I did want to talk to Arthur about how he goes about assessing pizza and and what goes into his his thought process and how he determines where he's going to visit. But we started off, of course, by asking him, how many pizzas does the guy eat in a given year? I've eaten at least 600 slices at... Uh, I think it's 250 pizzerias, but only 170 into like ones that aren't repeats. So I've been at least 170 different pizzerias this year in Detroit, uh, Boston, um, Maryland, Delaware, Virginia, New York, you know. Uh, New Haven. New Haven, yep. Uh, this is really what it's all about, right? Getting sort of the street cred and the sort of logging the time and having the eating experience. Because as you know, like when I did the Chicago book, I came to New York and I ate at 60 places. And I think it's so important. A lot of people don't actually have boots on the ground. And that's really how you learn about not only just what kind of styles of pizzas there are, but like who's actually good and who's not. See, this is one of the reasons why I respect what you've done. Not to, I know that you've, you've already sent me the check, so we're all good. But, um, you know, actually coming to New York and going to a lot of these places, uh, like I said, you know, a lot of these lists, if you've written, if you've been in media, you know how some of the sausage has been created. And pizza makers know also. Um, they, they, they know which lists are legit, which ones aren't, which writers are legit, which ones don't know what they're talking about. Um, Instagram, you know, you'll see somebody that comes out and says, well, this is the best pizza I've ever had. Well, where have you been? You know, and when, the last three posts that you wrote were also the best pizza that you ever had. So, you know, what, what is it? And so when you had this uh, sort of by accident thing with the, the deadline, when was that? That was circa like 2012. It's also the Instagram. So let's talk about NYC Best Pizza. Um, constantly posting. I don't know how you do this. You're the hashtag Pizza Cowboy. Uh, and you'll, you'll break down a place and one day you're in Long Island and then you're in Queens and then you're in Brooklyn. And um, tell me about your process. Well, like what you were saying in terms of your visiting to New York and hitting all these places, I think when I, when I saw your list also, I, I also kind of in the back of my head was like, okay, well, Wait a minute, how many of these places have I actually been to? And I am an obsessive, I'm, I'm compulsive and crazy in a way. Um, I went through, I think, of like 70 or 80 different lists, uh, and I found if, that were saying which were the best pizzerias in New York City. And I came up with a list of like, I don't know, 200 places that had been featured over the years. Um, and I said, well, I'm gonna go to as many of these places that are relevant. You know, where are the holes in my own game in my backyard? Um, and there are places that people have talked about as being amazing that you go to, and they're not. Uh, it happens so often, right? They have like these sacred cows, like Chicago would be Giordano's and Uno's and Douay's, um, and, and people talk about it, and the tourists go there, and I, I don't understand why they go there. Yeah, part of it has to do with nostalgia, part of it has to do with point of pride, neighborhood pride, part of it has to do with you know, your pizza cognition theory, the original slice, that's where they've been going all these years. Also, people like to you know, be proud of the fact that they know a place that's under the radar or not known, and uh, they've got one up on you. You know, I mean, I was recently in Detroit, and somebody was like, oh, well, I went to 17 places, and they said, well, have you been to Tomatoes a Pizza? And Tomatoes a Pizza is Detroit's New Haven-style joint. And like, 
yeah, sure, maybe it's better New Haven style than is actually in New Haven. And I don't want to be narrow-minded in terms of my focus on a pizza landscape. I don't want to get into Detroit right now, but I, I, you know, because I would rather talk about NYC Best Pizza for a few seconds. But, you know, I, am I going to Detroit first for New Haven style pizza? And if I, am I really missing something by not having the Detroit for? I mean, you can have that conversation. But like, I'm there to check out the Detroit pizza scene. So if I'm gonna, you know, if I have time to do a New Haven style pizza, great. But like, that's not my primary focus. I want to know it as well or better than people that are there because who am I, this interloper coming in, New York City Best Pizza, talking about the Detroit pizza scene. Part of the thing that I really take a lot of pride in in terms of doing with NYC Best Pizza is to give more than, you know, a point score or something. I don't do that. I don't see how that's really valid or valuable. My way of, of approaching this is also I'm sorry, but one bite, everybody knows the rules. You, you, if you know the rules, then you know you can't really evaluate a pizza based on one bite. I, I would argue you could make an, a, I can evaluate a pizza based on how it looks before I even taste it. I don't need one bite. That guy needs one bite, good for him. I don't need a bite. Um, I will evaluate pizza based on two bites, at least. Like, I know this is a shtick, but you have to taste the actual pizza, and then you need to taste the crust. I'm evaluating the, the place based on relevance. So. Queens, you know, all the boroughs, Brooklyn, Staten Island, Manhattan, the Bronx, the places that people are saying are the most uh, valuable, the, the best ones to go to, handicapping that against recommendations from people. So I really do take a kind of obsessive approach to this. Um, places and, and like Adam Kuban, your colleague? Yep, Adam, I mean, Adam is the OG. I mean, he's been doing this for forever, and if you don't know who Adam is, you need to go back to the early Serious Eats slice days and read some of the pieces. And most often, that's also what will happen. You know, I'll refer back to as many of these expert other posts as I can to inform myself and talk to the pizzaiolas, pizza people when I get there. Most of these guys hate being called pizzaiolas. They like to be called pizza cooks or pizza chefs or pizza guys or pizza girls or whatever. I'll refer back, and when I find a place that hasn't been talked about by Adam, sure, I will take a, you know, there's a little bit of pride, but I also start to wonder if I'm not off the deep end at this point, you know, looking at some of these places, because if Adam uh, and Scott or, um, you know, Jason Ferriman from I Dream of Pizza haven't been there, or you know, even Slice Harvester, you know, you, you may be off the deep end. But, you know, Slice Harvester, I'm going off, I'm going off the deep end with this answer, but I mean, Slice Harvester, if any people, people don't know, was a book where this guy basically like went to every pizzeria in Manhattan and got a whole bunch of press about it um, to try and find the best slice. And he eventually decided it was New York Pizza Suprema. I don't want to visit every pizzeria in New York. There's so much bad, mediocre pizza in New York City. People have this misconception that, Ameri that New York City is this great pizza town. It, it is a great pizza town, but like the average slice is not great. And so, you know, that's part of why I've been doing what I've been doing. I'd like to find like the top 25 slices in each borough, uh, and then really have like a list of 100 or 125 places. Those are the places that you should go to. Arthur is back at it. Uh, we didn't talk about the 101 best pizza list. He, he started that. Um, he no longer works on that. Um, so do not believe whatever it says. I know it came out a couple weeks or months ago. Uh, they lost me when they mentioned Yelp as one of their data points. And that really obviously pissed off Arthur. But uh, he is no longer associated with that list, uh, the Daily Meals 101 best pizzas, because they, they went off the rails basically and they went with somebody else and didn't consult him. All right, moving west to the desert, John Arena at Metro Pizza. I was there early in the year, again, pre-pandemic, 
and was just so curious about how a dyed-in-the-wool New Yorker ended up so far from what was back then, 20-plus years ago, the nation's pizza capital. My, my cousin and I found the pizzeria for sale where the guy that owned it was willing to take a small down payment and hold a note for five years. So we didn't have any money. We sold all our furniture. We sold whatever we, whatever we owned, our cars, everything. I mean, you couldn't go to Hoboken or Jersey City? We wanted to come out west. We wanted to take a shot at being out west. We wanted to not be under the watchful eye of our parents. We were, we were right out of college. We felt like we were smarter than everybody else, and we were going to do everything differently. And, uh, and not go to California? We, no, we thought that Las Vegas was a prime market because there were a lot of people from the East Coast here working in the casino industry. What surprised us was that the rest of the country, when we got here, we figured out that the rest of the country didn't think that the sun rose and set on New York which is a big shock for a New Yorker the first time they venture away from home. Our original business was called the Original New York Pizza, which is a very unoriginal name. And the idea was that we were going to bring real pizza to Las Vegas. We came out here, and the first customer that walked in the door, who's still a customer of ours, was from Detroit. The second customer that walked in was from Philadelphia, and he's also still a customer of ours. But we, when we started to have this conversation, we realized immediately that people were attached to their hometown pizza in a very special way. And if we were going to argue with them about the merits of their hometown pizza, we were never going to win the argument. So instead, we started to think about what is the, the universal appeal of pizza? What, are, what do all, all great pizzerias have in common? And how do we capture that and not be stuck on only doing the stuff from New York and not be limited to that? So for me, the most interesting pizzas are the pizzas that tell a story. You know, not just... You know, not just is this good or is it bad, but what is the story that the pizza is trying to tell me and what is the story that the pizza maker is trying to tell me? Our primary style is based on a New York style still, but I do a Roman style margarita, which is a very thin crust, crispier margarita. I do uh, Sicilian, which is kind of our, the thing that we've become most well known for, even though it's, it's not our biggest seller. New York style is still our biggest seller, but the... Sicilian, because of the process, is what we're really known for in industry-wide. You said it's a five-day ferment? First thing we do is a five-day fermentation, and we're doing that for a number of reasons. When we ferment, we're trying to develop flavors across, of course, capturing bacteria in the air, imparting, inoculating the dough with that bacteria. And let's even back up a little bit. You just say that dough, one flour, two flours, what kind of? One flour. Okay. Okay. Did you say? Um, I use a General Mills flour. It's called Supreme. It's not available. In, it's only available on the West Coast. But I can get the same results, and I have gotten the same re- results using Caputo Americana mixed with Tipo Uno. Is there a lot of hydration in this dough? There is not. It's about 62%. Okay. So you, so There's more than one way to skin that cat. The answer is not always add more water. You know, right now everybody's on this water kick that I think, you know, it, it's not a matter of how much water can I get into this dough. It's a matter of What's the right amount to get the result that I want? We'll divide and round, put it away, let it rise in the, in the refrigerator for five days. We pull it out for about six hours after that, after that five-day fermentation, and then we pan it out. Yeah, pretty well-oiled pan? Uh, yeah, we, well, we pan it out, not in the pan. But we pan it out on a table, and then we transfer it to the pan. Okay? So you, you find that people have a problem with the pizza, with what we call cornering the pizza, when they're panning out in a pan that's well-oiled, because the dough will shrink back from the edges. If we pan outside the pan and then transfer it, you can get it to the size that you want, and then you put it in the pan, and it, 
After five days, those protein strands have relaxed. There's no memory left. It's staying where you put it. Then it rises for 16 hours at room temperature. Oh, in the pan, 16 hours. Right. How, do, how long did it take you to figure all this out, by the way? I'm still figuring it out. You know, I'm, okay. you know, the, Never satisfied. The worst thing that can happen to me is somebody comes in and says, your pizza is the same as it was 40 years ago. I don't want it to be the same. I want it to be better. Every time I pick up a dough ball, I have a new opportunity to do something great. I'm going to leave you hanging on how he finishes that Sicilian. You're going to have to go back and check out the show that originally aired January 17th of 2020. All right, coming up, a taste of a Chicago legend on the South Side, plus a world pizza champion from the Bay Area who has an eye-popping seven ovens on site to make, well, more than a dozen regional styles of pizza all under one roof. Plus, we're going to preview a scene from our next show coming up in the new year. So stick around. Finding the perfect ingredients for your pizza takes time. I've seen guys wrestle over everything from flour and tomatoes to sausage and pepperoni, and of course, cheese. Selecting a cheese that'll perform the way your pizzeria needs it to is of utmost importance. Baccio cheese is an exceptional Italian pizza cheese made with a secret, a kiss of buffalo milk. Made with high quality, grade A milk, it goes from cow to cheese in just 48 hours. It melts, reheats beautifully, and stretches to give you those insta-worthy cheese pulls. Ronnie Kashoba is the co-owner of Crushed Pizzeria on Chicago's north side. They use the diced whole milk cheese for easy measuring. And Baccio melts smoother, and it's like creamier. We're using whole milk just because of the flavor. We feel like it's a richer flavor. It doesn't burn as fast as some of the other cheeses. It doesn't brown. It stays creamy. It's a great cheese. And that pizza is delicious. I posted some beautiful cheese pulls on my Instagram. Really nice crust. Great balance. Cheese doesn't burn either. It works like a charm every time. Baccio has just the right amount of creamy richness you'd find in the best Italian melting cheeses. They guarantee quality and offer cash back for every pound of cheese you buy with their Baccio Gold Club program. So here's the deal, pizza pros. Schedule a demo to try Baccio cheese today at no cost. Just go to BaccioCheese.com slash PizzaCityUSA. That's BaccioCheese.com slash PizzaCityUSA to learn more about your new pizza cheese. Welcome back, everybody. Even though I live in Chicago, our show bounces all around the world. Uh, we just had a guest from London a couple weeks ago. But every now and then I need to share one of our favorite local shops. And for a show in the spring, I sat down with Dan Costello, the president and CEO of Home Run Inn Pizza. Now, this business started as a tavern in the shadow of Comiskey Park on the south side. After World War II, they began selling pizzas, and like all Chicago tavern pizzas, it was thin, crispy, and square cut. still is today. But before pizza, it was just a tavern. Yeah, the business opened in 1927 as a bar, as a tavern. Pizza was introduced in 1947 when my grandfather got back from the war. Now, wait a second. Prohibition wasn't going, prohibition going on in the 20s? Well, I think that, yeah, but, yeah, exactly. It was a sandwich shop that... that maybe had something maybe extra? had some... Prescriptions? Per, yeah, there you go, exactly. Um, and actually, the, the fascinating thing, which we never talk about, it was a woman-owned business. So my great-grandfather had passed away, and it was my great-grandmother, Mary, that actually ran it. So when we started making pizza, we didn't sell it. They, made, they started making pizza to give it away. They loaded it with salt. <laughs> 
And that would be one thing that when people ask, like, what's changed in our pizza? Well, when we became a frozen pizza and you start putting your label out there and you start learning what, what the sodium content, that, would, that was, has been an adjustment over time for us. But the reason it was always so salty was exactly what you described, is the, the pizza started. We didn't sell it. We weren't a pizza place. They made it. My grandfather came across it. You know, he's from Italy, southern Italy, and brought it back with him, uh, his version of it, which became Chicago tavern-style thin crust pizza. But it, they would cut up small. That's why everyone has, like, I know people from the East Coast, like, why did you guys cut it? My, our experience was we cut it small because it fit on a cocktail napkin, and it was sampling. It was like popcorn instead of popcorn. It was, they would do like a little hot meal. And a lot of people from the neighborhoods would go downtown for a special pizza because Uno's started in 43, Dewey's came 55, but you know, Deep Dish was this weird thing, this attraction you'd go downtown for, kind of like Navy Pier is today. I would agree. Yeah, and we're, we're a neighborhood tavern-style thin crust pizza in Chicago. So people ask me that all the time, and I think... I don't know if you know this, but I, my impression is there's a lot of tavern-style Chicago pizzas made every day. Oh, yeah. Deep Dish is, is, a, is, a, is a different beast. It's just an interesting, unique product that's got a, a little different niche to it. Well, it's something that was born here, like, yeah. like stuff, and so I say it is a Chicago, one of Chicago's yeah. styles. Yeah. But Chicago's possessive style is this tavern style, this square-cut, thin crust. Because as I did the research for the book, you go to 185 places for research, you know, majority of them do Chicago thin, or, yeah. or tavern style as we call it. Although people from the Midwest are going to argue and say, hey, we were doing it in Milwaukee, we were doing it in Michigan, you know, at the same time. It's a very Midwestern thing, too, I think. I would, I would understand that. That would make a lot of sense to me. It's what we grew up with. It's what we know. We've actually never really experimented on the deep dish size, so tavern style thin is what we've always done, and it's what's, what's been good to us. So. There's never been that itch like, oh, we should try. Like, like Pat's, for example, does a, maybe 10% of their business. They do deep dish, and it's mainly when Cardinals fans come to see Cubs games because they all want to have some deep dish, and it's kind of near the park. Sure. But no, no one's ever pressured you to, like, come on, do a deep dish, too. Oh, no, we, we've always we felt the pressure. But we haven't done it in our restaurants. We actually launched it on our frozen side. It was a really good product, but it didn't sell. It's not what Homer Ninn, you know, it just didn't sell well enough. And it was hard to make, too. That was part of it. But it was, a, it was a great product. We got good feedback on it, but we just, it didn't gain traction for us. People come to Chicago, they want deep dish. But at the end of the day, I tell people, I'm like, I don't have a real number on this, but I, I bet there's a hundred thin crust tavern style pizzas sold for every deep dish pizza, or maybe larger number than that. Just because everybody who's, every, even the deep dish guys have to have a, a tavern style thin on their menu, where the tavern style thin guys don't have to have deep dish on their menus. I mean, sausages are by far, by far dominates our number one topping out of any of our restaurants. It's so typical in Chicago. People don't realize this. Pepperoni is the most popular topping in America with the exception of Chicago. I, everybody I talk to, it's like sausage all the way. And you know, when you start studying our, uh, our frozen sales, because we're in 40 states, I mean, we, Chicago's dominated by sausage pizza sales, but you leave this market, we see what you just described reflected in our frozen pizza sales. Sausage still sells, but then it's dominated by pepperoni and plain cheese. This pizza that we're sitting in front of is what makes everything go around here. And anything that takes us away from doing this product and doing it better is a distraction at the end of the day that we waste time, energy, and money on. Um, so we've had periods of time in our history that we've, we've tried to make something else, whether it maybe it's a deep dish or maybe even another brand pizza. We've, we've screwed around making other branded pizzas for the frozen segment. 
And at the end of the day, it's not the home run in pizza. It's not what we do. And every minute that we spent doing these other things, at the end of the day, they've been distractions versus just do what has got us here and do what people love and do what people are rewarding us for. And that is great advice. Keep your eye on the ball, in essence, and focus on what you do every day. Now, shifting gears from a focus on just one style to the ADD lovers pizza fever dream in the Bay Area, Tony Gemignani is a multiple world pizza champion. He's at the Pizza Expo in Vegas every year, of course, in spades. The guy competes like nobody else. He's got a chef's coat with sponsors stitched down like he's a NASCAR driver. But his namesake pizzeria in North Beach is really a remarkable place. I would call it a pizza nirvana because you can taste more than a dozen styles of pizza produced from a staggering seven ovens on site. When I visited in March, about two weeks before the lockdowns, which is crazy when I think about that, I asked how he got to be so competitive. People say, why you compete? What, what, what are you so into that? I think it's like playing sports. My dad was a coach, playing soccer, organized. You just, you want to win, man. You want to make that better and you're just looking at your pizza and you're like, huh, this pizza turned out pretty damn good. It sat here for a while and I'm like, yeah, that looks good, but maybe it could have been 30 seconds longer and it could have been even better, you know? But here's the thing, which you're not revealing, and I'm going to say this. You're talking about guys, mostly guys, who are focused on one style of pizza, right? There's the guy, there's Mark Icono at Lucali. He's making that one kind of pizza. There's Robert Garvey in Chicago making that one kind of pizza. You must have had ADD in a severe way because what you're doing here at Tony's, we're here in North Beach in San Francisco, you've got like a dozen styles of, of pizza. Yeah, a lot of people thought I was nuts. You know, back then you'd call your friends. I mean, Andy Costa, a multi-unit operator in L.A. I was in a parking garage here in San Francisco at the farmer's market telling him about this idea. We're going to have all these styles and all these flowers and nobody's heard of this oven. And he was just like, hold on, man. Like. What are you thinking? And, and I remember telling people about it and the idea, and, and nobody got it. it. You do one style, maybe you have a second. And for me, it just I, I just love pizza in its entirety. And if, if it's good, it could be celebrated and it could be awesome. And some people just don't get it. It's like you know, it's almost they treat it like a baseball. I'm a Yankee fan. For, you know, forget the Cubs or vice versa. And it's like Dodgers. You know, hate the Giants. Giants hate the Dodgers. I, I love baseball. You know, I have my favorites, but still, for me, pizza may be like saying, hey, what's your favorite pizza? It's like almost asking a dad who's his favorite son, even though he'll never admit it. <laughs> Maybe one or that's better than the other. But uh, for me, if it's done right, and like I said, I've traveled everywhere. And before it, you could Google it, and before you can just go on YouTube and say, oh, wow, that's a Panzerotti. Oh, now I know what that is. Before all that shit like, kind of came about. Before that all happened, you know, it was R&D, you traveled there, you got the experience, you're in Naples, it's hot, it's sweaty, the guy's making it right there, it came out in 60 seconds, it's charred, chewy, wet, it's just beautiful and amazing. And I was there at Trianon on my honeymoon with my wife, just blown away. And those experiences in life, for me, before the Google it and, and, and the YouTube were... You had to go to Detroit and try Buddies. 
you had to go to St. Louis and see what Emos was really all about. You got to go to Sally's and Frank Pepe and. And then those were the trips that I took, and I wanted to bring it in front of you and say, this is it. You grew up there. I'll try this. What do you think? And I gave you something earlier, and you're like, oh, you know, there's no cheese on it. Well, yeah, but you, you could get it in a certain area, but maybe, you know, we're arguing about it. But you're like, this is damn good, and you're happy about it. And he's talking plants and stuff. We're talking. <laughs> I have an Italian beef sandwich, which he just served me. He gave me a combo, actually, with the sausage. No sweet pepper, but the hot jardinier, and he put a little cheese in the Toronto bread. Man, was it good. But you, you kind of cheated because you used that really good, was it Snake River Farms beef? Yeah, it was. It was that cut that people say, you know, wow, I guess Chicagoans come here, they'll eat it. They'll say, I think it's better than the beef I grew up with. I said, well, you know, it's just, don't compare it. It's just you like it and you love it and they bring it back. That's the thing. They bring it back. And then anytime you get a transplant, something I haven't been to in Chicago, I haven't been to New Haven in 20 years. I grew up on this. When I eat this pizza, it's like... Oh, man, man, it brings me back. And that's, that's a responsibility, though, because you're talking about people's childhood memories. When things were so much less complicated, when things were just easy, when you just were hanging out with friends and enjoying yourself and just having a great pizza. That's what it's all about, because I know what it's like. I'm, I'm older now. I have a son now. We're married, and we, have a, we, have, you know, we, we pay a mortgage, and things are stressful. Anytime you could take somebody back to that moment in life when you're just not thinking about anything else other than that moment of, God, this is just so cool. A lot of research, um, a lot of R&D, a lot of getting, I mean, those San Marzano tomatoes sent to you, that San Felice flour at the time. I want brick cheese. What the that? I'm talking to a cheesemonger. I need Prevel. I need, a, I need a cheese that doesn't exist here. It's a coal-fired cheese, a dry mozzarella. I hello, brothers. You, you heard of it. We'll try to source it. And you're bringing in cheeses to San Francisco that almost cost as much as your buffalo coming from Naples because nobody has it. Now it's changed quite a bit. And, and if you look at the pizza industry now, you almost take it for granted. And um, a lot of guys kind of do. But it was, you had to be there, know what it is, fly to Detroit, figure out what it was, come back and say, there's a couple people that bring it. Maybe you can bring it in through Minnesota and get it here. Uh, just figure it out. And I paid a, a lot of money for it. So how many kinds of ovens do you have here producing how many kinds of pizza? So right now we're launching another pizza on our menu. Uh, so we're, we're, we're pretty much up to 13 styles of pizza. You could throw 14 in there if you wanted to add gluten-free to it. But some people say, is that pizza or not? It is Scott Wiener. It is pizza. Gluten-free is <laughs> Love the Wiener shout-out. Yeah, yeah, you always got to, like, you know, you always got to step on the Wiener a little bit, you know? So, so, so there's Sicilian, there's New York, there's New Haven. So here we have um, several different types of pizza. We have seven ovens. We have uh, electric gas, um, rotating gas. We have wood-fired coal. When it comes to all these styles, multi-chambers, multi-temperatures. And then you have your, um, your Sicilian. Your grandma, your Detroit, uh, then you have your St. Louis, uh, classic American, classic Italian. Then you go into our Roman. Now we have two subcategories, Roman thin, and now we'll have reintroducing Roman, uh, which is a thick uh, pizza that you had actually earlier today that I'm not really talking too much about, but it's, it's very, very different and unusual. New York 20-inch pies, uh, coal-fire pizzas. Um, we have a lot of different, different styles of pizza, yeah. The training, I can't even fathom. Do you have like a book? How do you get people trained on certain ovens or certain styles? And do they bounce around always or do they have specialties here? We have four pizza lines here. 
So you have your, you know, coal fire line, your American line, wood fire line. You have all these lines, and then you have multi pizzas on the line. So your hands are everything. If you talk to people in the industry, if they really know, is so you go from one line to another. It's like okay, when you're Neapolitan, you baby it, you're soft on it. You want that leoparding, and, 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 and I'm not getting leoparding because I have cold dough. I'm getting leoparding because the guy know how to open up right, and it's, it's the, the dough's matured enough. Then you go to the slice line, and you're banging it out. You're doing a New York rim, and you're trying to make it nice and tight. And then like, okay, well, let's go to the classic Italian now and change it up, thicken it up. And then you go to the coal line. So when it comes to it, there's a lot of training. You're not throwing a guy in the weeds and going all over. He'll be in one area usually, and then he'll have to float around, or her to different to different uh, lines. But it's it's a task. I mean, it's it's a lot to it. You got a slice shop next door. Is that just New York slices, or do you do other things to try? Otherwise, it's all whole pies. Yeah. So we do deep dish um, at the slice house once in a while. Uh, usually at night from about four o'clock on. We have New York and California. We have Sicilians, and sometimes we'll throw Detroit's and Grandmas in there. And you have Stromboli's, Calzones, and everything like that. It's it's just unique. I mean, you come to San Francisco, you're in North Beach. It's Little Italy. There's pizza everywhere. When we landed here, everyone's all, like, oh, "What are you gonna do? You know, you're 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 right in the middle of all these pizzas." I'm like, "What we're gonna do? It's it's like saying Disneyland is this, and the county fair is everyone else." And I said, I'm not saying it to brag. It's just, it's just, it's a special place. I wanted to make it an institution, and, and it's a pizza museum, is what it is, because you can taste everything from around around the globe here. Knowing what you know now about pizza, and it is enough to fill a couple of libraries worth. Uh, what would you tell yourself 12 years ago, before you opened up your pizzeria here, about how to be successful in the pizza game? You know, at one time when I was early in my career, how about this? I I, I wanted everything now. And things happen, and it took time for me. Everybody has different times in life to become who they are and what they do. But I'm glad for me it didn't happen when I was in the business five years, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. I'm glad it took, now I realize that it took 17, 18 years for me to say, I'm gonna open up my own place. And it wouldn't have ever been uh, what it is today if I didn't have those 18 years. If I would have opened it up, Early in my career, I, I, it just wouldn't have been what it was or what it is. And it keeps going. And I, and I say that to myself. I was kicking the wall, pissed off, mad. Dad, why can't I get some money? Help me out. I didn't get it. And my brother had it, and he got it. I had to find my own funding, and I was pissed off, and I was mad at the world. And, and I see a lot of guys now that are like, I just want to open up my own place now. I'm like, you know, just take some time. You know, it's like a dad talking to his son. Take some time. and. And uh, I'm glad it took some time because it, it's, it's, it's been a great ride. And I will let Tony have the last word today. I really hope that entire Bay Area pizza family is doing okay. All right, coming up in three weeks, yes, fitting a little vacation time in. I'll talk with one of the few female pizzaiolas in the nation, a woman who grew up in Naples and by chance ended up in Chicago where she makes some textbook Neapolitan pies. You gotta watch on, on the bottom of the pizza because sometimes they, they cook first on the bottom and you gotta keep uh, cook the pizza on your peel for not let it burn on the bottom. You know, you gotta know everything when you use this oven. Nella Grassano of the Namesake Pizzeria joins us to talk about the challenges of, of making true Neapolitan pizza on the south side of Chicago. That's in three weeks on January 8th. 
Remember to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and rate us, please. I would love to know what you like or dislike about the show. We're at Pizza City USA on Instagram, and our website is pizzacityusa.com. You'll find tour information, uh, which starts again in May, and a list of short pizza recaps in some other cities I visited, including New York City, of course. Bureaucratic wrote and performed our theme song. And just to remind everybody, stay safe. Have a great New Year's. Wear a damn mask. Keep social distancing. Please, please, just order pizzas this New Year's. Keep your favorites afloat during the pandemic. Stay within your bubbles. Don't go to big parties. This is all going to get better slowly but surely in the New Year. I have nothing but but hope and optimism as we go into 2021 with the vaccine now on its way into everybody's arms. I'm hoping you all take care of yourselves. Be safe. Thanks for listening as always. And here is wishing you an optimal bite ratio always. Always.